Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Driven with Andy J on talk radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey there, welcome to Driven here on Talk Radio. I'm Andy Jay and we have three really interesting guests for you today. The incredible Mark Priestley, he was Lewis Hamilton's Formula One mechanic and now, well now you can't miss him if you love your cars and racing on TV because he's everywhere. Then we have one of the nation's most beloved presenters of all time, from the really wild show to the Wide Awake Club to Spring Watch, Autumn Watch, Winter Watch and Country File. It's the wonderful Michaela Strachan and we also have a singing sensation with a stonking backstory the amazing lucy spraggan those are your three guests mark Priestley, michaela strachan and lucy spraggan here on driven with me andy j driven with andy j on talk radio in association with paramex digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com my first guest this week was on the x factor eight years ago back in 2012 and i'm delighted to say lucy spraggan joins us now on driven now lucy i've just mentioned the x factor i've dropped it in right from the start but of course you are a thoroughly established singer now do you mind having that association with the show still so utterly bored of it it was a decade ago and since then i've released five albums i've played glastonbury you know to bring it back to that i'm the first person who's ever played Glastonbury that's come from a reality TV show or X Factor. And so in that regard, I'm like, oh, I could be Glastonbury's Lucy Spragan or I could be uh, Kendall Calling's first ever female headliner, Lucy Spragan. Or I was also thinking about this the other day. If my name is so synonymous with the X Factor, then surely you don't even need to say Lucy yeah. Spragan from the X Factor anymore. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And look, let me just put this out there right now. I am a bona fide fan. So, you know, I say the X Factor because, <laughs> of course, we have a massive listenership, some of whom vary in age. Yeah, 100%. May not, may not no, 100%. Be, uh, I, totally, of... I totally get it too, but, like, you just caught me on a moment there. I was thinking about it yesterday, like, in depth. And it makes me sound... I don't know, because if I heard somebody say that, I'd be like, yeah, but you went on the show, that's where people know you from. It's the same. I was listening to a podcast with Dick and Dom on it the other day, and they said people still shout bogeys at them all the time. When lockdown's lifted, you're hoping to be on tour kind of towards the end of the year, and you've got a new album out in October. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, the album's out in October. It's called Choices, and yeah, the tour's supposed to be in November, but I I honestly, I was thinking about this last night too, that the music industry is on such fragile legs at the moment not even in a like a touring way i mean the whole thing is very uncertain so fingers crossed we're gonna get somewhere it's that's the ambition and then we'll see if the virus allows it's that kind of thing isn't it i'll still release my album (laughs) yeah well exactly but like you almost need the kind of post-covid tour it needs that kind of strap doesn't it you know as soon as the virus lets me out i'm gonna boogie in front of all of you or vice versa. I think po- post-COVID tour has a ring to it, to be honest. You reckon? The post-COVID yeah. sessions. So then, then you could actually, <laughs> you, could, you could rename your album. And don't get me wrong, you know, obviously Choices is great, but you could, you could rename it now, kind of the COVID sessions. 
Or, you know, it's almost an anagram, isn't it? COVID choices. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Well, look, here's three things that are known about you, and I'm going to ask you if they're connected, right? Things that you have done okay. over the last few weeks, all of which, well, few months, all of which are staggeringly impressive or um, big, big decisions in their own right, which I'm assuming is what has educated the, the title choices. First up, you've lost three stone. I mean... Holy moly, that's that's more than my two-year-old ways. Second, <laughs> you haven't had a drink, an alcoholic drink, for over nine months, which is brave and impressive in equal measure. And third, you're getting divorced. Are those three connected? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, uh, I imagine so. Yes, they are, actually. I mean, I started, obviously, divorces. I announced I was breaking up in October, but things obviously happen before you announce them to the general public because yes. you have to be quite sure um <laughs> so i gave up drinking in july um i started running in january and uh i well, yeah and that was all kind of because i was i wanted mental clarity i wanted to be like in the right frame of mind to go through something as stressful as this so yeah, and now I run half marathons. I ran two half marathons last week. Oh, I mean, I'm impressed and jealous in equal measure. <laughs> it's it's very cool. I also saw a photo of you, not that I've been perving on you, but I also saw you've got some serious abs going on right now. I mean, no, Thor would be jealous of those. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous because, like, I've been quite fat my whole life, even as, like, a kid. And so now I just – it was honestly giving up the drinking – that got rid of all the weight. I, I must have been drinking like a thousand calories a day or something, which is not that hard. I, do you know what? It can't just be the booze because I am now, I haven't had a drink for 16 months and not that I had an issue with it or Whoa. anything, but, but it's been 16 months since I've had a drink. Have I lost any weight? Not a, nothing. I mean, literally nothing. If anything, I've put it on because I substitute <laughs> my alcohol for crisps and chocolate. But, you know, so there's more to it for you than just stopping drinking. I mean, the half marathons are clearly going to help, right? Well, that's the thing. It's like, I did have an issue with alcohol. That's why I stopped drinking. So, like, mine is a concentrated, like, no, I do not do that anymore because I don't like who I am when I do and then I think instead I started on the sweets at the very beginning I was like I need some sugar <laughs> and was eating the sweets and then I was like this has to turn into something else so I think I I did the running instead of the drinking good for you so you have swapped alcohol for endorphins yeah and and honestly wow like what better than any other high I've ever experienced just the one that you get from exercise now let's talk about everything that happens in, in the kind of crazy world of a musician's life because, you know, rather like comedians and, and performers, you're not sort of mentally wired in the same way as, as Joe Bloggs, as it were. You know, you, you come up with amazing things, riffs, hooks, turns of phrases, lyrics that inspire and delight, but it is, it is at a sacrifice, isn't it? There's something wired in you that, that makes you very open to all the feelings and all the emotions of the world out there and sometimes you're a bit of a kind of lightning rod for them which can come with a fair amount of pressure right i don't know whether um whether creative experience those things in a more intense way or it's the fact that like kind of our job is to talk about those things put them out there in some kind of way whether that's in like in, in comedy or, or art or lyrics or whatever 
And so people know that's how you feel. You're exposed and you're pretty vulnerable if you do tell those truths. But in a sort, the sort of non-performance life, you're less inclined to talk about the way that you actually feel in, in such a raw way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't think it's that musicians are, I mean, I think we're all pretty nuts. I don't think that we feel it more. I think it's just that it's more, more open. You wouldn't be in the pub, like, with your mates, obviously having a non-alcoholic beverage these days, kind of going, so this is how I'm feeling today. You'd just be sitting there going, oh, have you seen Tiger King? Isn't it ridiculous? Or whatever. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it depends. But I just mean for, like, the everyday, everyday person, I think, I think that's why people like to listen to music that's open and honest, because they're like, oh, that's, that's how I feel. Mm. Um, and you don't often have an opportunity I mean, you do with, like, good friends or good family or whatever, but there's not always an opportunity to say, like, that, that you know, soul-crushingly, I'm completely desperate and, and sad. Like, it's, it's a really hard thing to say. Yeah, it's, it's a very tough thing to put out there. And, and actually, you're very open on your social media as well, and you have a very connected fan base, you know, who, who are obviously loving your honesty. And, and, and that's one of the reasons, I think, why you have such a kind of loyal following, because you're just... You're just raw on there, aren't you? I don't really have a filter, which is actually detrimental sometimes because I just say exactly how I'm feeling. And actually through things like divorce and you have to consider somebody else's feelings and somebody else's personal situation, it, I actually have to kind of monitor a lot of the stuff that I say and have a bit of like self-control about that. My intention is to be actually a little less open on social media than I have been in the past. Okay. Because everybody knows everything. Yeah. And that, that opens up conversations that I don't want to have with strangers. <laughs> Do you get a lot of kind of uh, unnecessary attention then? Do you get a fair bit of like, oh, okay, so you remember something that I said nine months ago and it isn't valid in my life anymore and you're bringing it up now? Yeah. And like <laughs> people, I don't know, people that will be like, yeah, with the best intention, fully the best intention. Things that I don't talk about, things that I actively do not talk about. And, and then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get a message from someone asking if I want to talk about that with them. Um, I don't know. I, I really love, like, I love social media because I love the way people get in touch and people care. And especially over this, it's been a real sort of like, it's been a real support. And so, yeah, like sometimes it, social media is a bit like, ah! But other times, it's really nice. And I really love being able to like communicate with people on that level. Yeah, it's a special thing. Now, this show is, is called Driven. It's about kind of what drives people to achieve, to do different things, to, to set their marker in the moon. What is it that drives you? What is it that, that kind of gets you up in the morning with a song in your head and decides to go for it? I've just had this like unrelenting perseverance since I was a kid that, Quite honestly, up until this change in my life and this sobriety, nothing's ever been good enough. Nothing I've done has ever been good enough for me. Really? And I've always strived to just get better and, and do more and achieve more and succeed. And I didn't sort of realise until being sober and, and sort of changing my entire life around that actually success is whatever you consider it to be. And when I look around me and I look at my career, I think, actually, do you know what? Like, I'm doing okay. And now instead of trying to run past another person that's running next to me, excuse the running 
uh, analogy. It's of. on the mind, yeah. But instead of instead of trying to compete against other people, I'm now inwardly thinking, you've done you've done really well and you've overcome a lot of things, and that's what's driving me now. It's like you can do more, and it's kind of opened up this door of like you're doing really well. But you can you can keep going, and that's such a different feeling. And I'm I'm really enjoying it. That's uh, it's really lovely to hear. So, you know, obviously you've had these massive changes in the last few months. When lockdown is lifted, when the world is able to return to what will be the new normal, what's the plan? What's your what's the next big ambition for you? Wow. Um, it would be to get on the road. So I was supposed to be in Australia. Um, on my tour there back in April. So back to Australia as soon as they'll let us go. But I, I can't imagine they're going to let people from Britain into other countries for a long time. That's going to be a while. Um, yeah. yeah, and the, the new album's coming out. So really for me, like I was just saying then, I look at my career, I look at my tours and stuff and think, this is what I literally love doing more than anything in the world. So... For me, it's not about like scaling a big skyscraper and becoming stratospheric. It's about growing organically, growing what I've got, and like getting to play festivals again. Yeah. Going to play a festival, like I took that for such like it was. I just took it for granted. Well, hopefully, we can still see you on tour, Lucy. The plan is for Lucy to tour the Chronicles around the UK from the fifteenth to the twenty-third of November. She'll be stopping in Glasgow, Sheffield, Bristol, Shepherd's Bush Empire, and the Ritz in Manchester. And you can get tickets and more information via LucySpragan.com. And her new album, Choices, is due for release on the 16th of October. Now, after the break, we're joined by wildlife veteran and everyone's favourite presenter, the wonderful Michaela Strachan. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. It's Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J, and I am so thrilled to say now it's time to get really wild. I mean, oh gosh, that was such an awful introduction to such a wonderful person. I'm thrilled to be able to welcome to the show the glorious Michaela Strachan. How are you doing, Michaela? I'm pretty good. I think that's a perfect intro because, you know, it's good to be really wild, particularly in these times when I think we need to just stay wild and stay focused and try and stay cheerful. Well, do you know, the trouble is, I imagine it's an intro you've heard before, though, and that's kind of what bothers me. <laughs> You're like, oh, that one again, eh? Hey, no, do you know, for, for years it was, are we wide awake? <laughs> <laughs> let's catch McCain and let's see if she's wide awake. <laughs> so, you know, it changes over the years. Well, do, you, do you know what I love, Michaela? I mean, you've, you've got a phenomenal career. I've got a lot of kind of random facts that I've got to ask you. I've got to sense check them with you because I'm not sure if they're true or not because I've obviously been watching oh, you on telly for forever. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get on to that. But one of the things that I think has defined everything you've done from obviously the kids telly with Timmy Mallet in the early days through to all the glorious animal shows and Spring Watch and so on and so forth. One thing that I think everybody thinks when they think of you is energetic, bubbly, positive. How do you keep going like that all the time? It's just a persona. <laughs> no, you know, I, I do, I do have a very positive attitude to life. I mean, even I'm, I'm finding it difficult these days to stay positive. And you know, like all of us, I have days where I, I feel low because it, we're going through a very challenging time at the yeah. moment. But you know, I do pick myself up again. And, and I think one of my favourite songs is, or, or the favourite line from a song is, "I get knocked down." 
but I get up again. <laughs> you ain't ever going to keep me down. That is my attitude to life. And yes, the whole world is going through a very difficult time, but generally through life, you aren't going to have a great time all the time. There are going to be lows in your life, there are going to be highs in your life, and there are going to be times when it's just actually quite dull and boring. And I like to think of life as a horse race. And so, and it's a long one, and it's a long one. And we've all got a finishing line, but you don't know where your finishing line will be. And some people's finishing line is much closer than others. Some are, you know, in there for the long haul. And during that race, there's going to be times when you're jogging along and life is pretty good, you know, and you're looking at the roses and you're smelling the music. Life is nice. And then it goes into one of those horrible gallops where you can't quite hold on. Then your foot to the stirrup and you're just about keeping on and you're falling off and you hold yourself back and you think, oh, my God, I got through that. Yeah. And then it goes into a really slow pace and you think, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> and then it starts trotting again. You think, oh, no, well, this is nice. I like this. I like this. And then it goes into that cancer again. So that's how I think of life. I think, you know, you just got to hang on in there till the end line. <laughs> what an amazing analogy for life, Michaela. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I didn't think we'd go this early on, but, but I might as well go there now because you talk about the sort of tough times. You've had some pretty significant health battles yourself, you know, in, in the very recent future. If you don't mind me mentioning it, you've, you've had to have a double mastectomy because of breast cancer. And, and you've beaten that now, but... it. That, I'm assuming, was, was what you're referring to as one of the, the truly tough times in that, in that race. Anyone that had that cancer scare knows what it's like. Um, but I was extremely fortunate that mine was caught very early and I got through it with, with you know, relatively little pain and stress because I'm over it now. Mm. You know, and I obviously realised I was one of the lucky ones and other people have a very long battle with it. But yes, when you're first given that diagnosis, it is extremely scary and it's it's definitely one of those challenging times of your life. But, um, yeah, but I feel very fortunate that I uh, caught it early and got through it uh, relatively okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. And actually, you know, you talk about the, the horse race kind of picking up and, and getting a bit fun again. Uh, again, excuse me if this is a little bit too crude and personal, but <laughs> I, I, I believe that you have, you have named your implants in a rather, <laughs> in a rather whimsical way. <laughs> Well, again, this, this is the sort of positive side of me, and I always try, in any challenge, I try and um, face it head on and with humour, if I can. And so I remember, I say it's all getting a bit personal, but when I had my um, implants in, they were, they were really hard. And I said to my friend, I said, I'm finding it hard to like them. I said, they're really hard. They're like, they're like coconuts. And she said, well, why don't you name them? And I said, what am I going to name them? She said, well, name them something coconutty like Pina and Colada. <laughs> <laughs> So I did. One is called Pina and the other one's called Colada. And, you know, it made me laugh about it. And I think if you can laugh in the face of adversity, then then it's, it's, a, it's a good attitude to have. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Michaela, there's, there's been some fun. I don't know if, how often you Google yourself. Some people type their names into Google <laughs> to see, to see what comes often. up. So, well, there's, there's two really fun things that come up when they, when they type. Michaela Strachan into, into, into Google. At the moment, it's all about you, and the, I use the word cautiously, it's all about you being stranded in South Africa because of the coronavirus, <laughs> or stuck, even though it's actually your home. <laughs> I know, yes, it's quite funny that, and a lot of people keep saying, come home, come back to England, come home. But um, yeah, I live in Cape Town in South Africa, and I mean, I am, I am stuck here. I miss um, being part of the Springwatch team this yes. year because I, I couldn't get a flight. And actually, we decided, the BBC and myself decided that even if I could get a flight, because there were repatriation flights, mm. 
Right. It wasn't the right thing to do. You know, when the government is saying to everybody, stay at home, it doesn't look good and it's not the right thing to do for me to be getting on a flight from Cape Town during a pandemic, particularly when nobody really understood what it was about and everyone completely utterly panicked about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I am kind of stuck here. Um, and part of the time it's frustrating because I'm, I'm really not used to being in one place for long. Um, and, and part of me is, is, is really enjoying having more quality time at home. It's one of those flip things. And I know speaking to friends, a lot of friends are going through a similar thing at the moment. You know, it's that, yes, everyone's enjoying being, being at home more and being able to have quality home life, but everyone's frustrated because they can't do the things they want to do. And I think um, we'll, all, we'll all come out with lessons that we've learned from this. Yes, absolutely. But but I can cross off the stranded line because it's not, not really str- not, not really, not really an accurate stranded. term. You know, I've I, done a heck of a lot of DIY during this period and cleaning cupboards like a lot of people have. <laughs> so the other one that comes up, which I think is hilarious, is are you related to Gordon Strachan? The, uh, oh, yeah, the does Scottish that come woman. up? Oh, that's it comes so up. funny. I know. That's so funny. Because I, I do sort of say to people, they say, oh, you know, you got any relation? Yeah, yeah, I'm Gordon Strachan's my uncle, didn't you know? You know, they look at me, they go, no. And I sort of keep them going for a bit. But no, I've never met Gordon. <laughs> he may well be a distant relative, but they also had Strachan beds as well. So I used to get that. Well, oh, have you got anything to do with Strachan beds? <laughs> On that sort of track, um, I always think it's quite funny because um, obviously I work with Chris Packham and Packham and Strachan, I think, would make a great <laughs> removal firm. Yes, it would. That'd be brilliant. Or a, or a torture company. I know, well, where is your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just it's just another opportunity for you. I'm just trying to branch out here, Michaela. You know, you're the positive one. I'll, I'll do the darkness. Um, <laughs> so here we go. I've got a few more for you. It used to be a kissogram. Is that true? <laughs> oh, no, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> do you know, when I was about 17, I was at musical theatre college. I left normal school at 16 and went on to do a musical theatre college education times were tough and we had to earn our way through college and so i i signed up to do kissograms i mean they were so tacky and they were so naff but 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 you know then the newspaper years later did get hold of this and they did call me a strippogram so i, I would like to just say <laughs> i was a, a kissogram they were fairly innocent which was very different to a strippogram and it was interesting because i wanted to sue the newspaper at the time and i went to a lawyer and because I was a children's presenter, it wasn't wasn't really the right thing to be on the front page of being called a, a stripogram. And um, and they said it's a very fine line. You'll probably end up spending an awful lot of money and getting nowhere because to strip is taking a layer off. It doesn't mean to strip to the bare. Right. And so to prove that that's damaging would be very difficult. But but the funniest thing was, and my brother kept this front page for years because he thought it was so hilarious. I was on the front page being called a strippogram the same day the Berlin Wall came down. Oh, my word. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. I mean, again, I was really upset by this whole thing. But looking back on it, again, look at the comedy side of it. I'll be honest with you, Michaela. If I had strippogram anywhere near me, that'd be the top of my CV. D- no questions asked. <laughs> because it was it was actually before the sort of GQ magazines and and um, what were those other magazines called? I can't remember what they're called. But, FHM. You know, I thought 
Yeah, FHM, all of those. Yeah. I don't think they're around anymore, are they? But I thought, gosh, I'm ahead of my time here because if if um, FHM had been around then, you know, I would have been absolutely applauded. Instead, I was. It was all a bit embarrassing at the time, which which um, I'm still embarrassed about it. To tell you the truth. I love it. I love it. I think it's a wonderful <laughs> fact. And and I did, and I thought you were about to tell me when I said the kissogram thing. I thought you were about to say, of course not. I love that that was true. <laughs> That's incredible. I want to find somebody that, that got kissed by you at some point and they're just like, yes, what a what, joy. What other, what, what other skeletons have you got that are creeping out of my closet there? Are you, are you sure you want them? I mean, yeah, that's, go on, that's go on, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so another one. You had two hit singles in the UK. You were a pop star. Oh, no, those, yeah, yeah. So those, well, well I'd like to sound proud of them, but they didn't do very well. Um <laughs> And every, everyone presumed that they were a Stock Aitken and Waterman track, but they weren't. Pete, Pete Waterman, despite the fact I was working with him on the Hitman and Her at the time, which was, which was a music television show that went out late at night, um, he didn't sign me up. So I was signed up to London Records, and I did a, one track called Happy Radio, which was actually really good. I was living with a musician at the time who was a saxophonist, and we had a recording studio in the top of our house in those days of the 80s. Um, and so cool we were very cool. We recorded it in our studio, and it was the, the original track was great. Well, of course, once London Records get hold of it, they make it into real pop, and they sort of it's almost like they iron out anything. They and so, it. what you're all, saying is they wrecked it, <laughs> they didn't wreck it, they just made it into a typical pop record instead of a pop record that maybe was slightly edgy. And, you know, it had great saxophone in it. And I trained for musical theatre, so I've got a reasonable singing voice. But, you know, they sort of ironed out anything that wasn't quite perfect. And I, I personally, I prefer it when, it when it's a bit more edgy than that. You know, you might double track your own voice. They sort of quadruple tracked it. And then it has that real sort of average sound to it. Sort of a vocally so, um, auto-tune-y. That know, sounds like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'd say the original one was actually quite good. And then we did a second one called Take Good Care of My Heart. And that was that was pretty terrible. <laughs> they, they sent me to Germany. They said, right, we've got this track. We want you to record it. We love it. And I said, well, can I hear it first before I go to Germany? They said, no, just go to Germany and record it. So I went to Germany. I was picked up by some producer I've never met before. I mean, I can't believe that these things happen. And, you know, taken off to his studio in his house. That's amazing. And he played the track. And it had an octave leap in it. Now, anyone that knows anything about music, you know, you have octaves. So yeah. you'll go la, and then the, the next sort of C will be la, or whatever. Whoa, whoa. We're and in so Josh it, Groban territory here now, Michaela. <laughs> so, so, so it had this octave leap, and I, and I said, you know, that's fine, but I said it's too high. So we're going to have to bring the whole thing down. He said, but I've already done the backing singers, so I can't. Oh, no. <laughs> But I'm the artist. Surely it has to suit my my range. Um, I mean, I've got an octave range, obviously, but I haven't got an octave range at the at the pitch that he wanted. So we, you know, I screeched my way through this this um, tune in the wrong. And it was just too high for me. And I mean, it was fine. It was fine, but it was a real pop pop track. Oh no! So um, yeah, they, but neither of them did remarkably well. I think, but, um, I think I'm still going to have to check the... them out on Spotify. Because, you know, this <laughs> sounds too good to be true. Again, they were before their time, you know. I mean, <laughs> if they were released later, they might have done remarkably well. <laughs> Maybe we should look to re-release them, Michaela. You know, just... Maybe we should. I'm not, I'm not doing much at the moment. I could I could do a little video in, in my back garden. <laughs> <laughs> that would be 
be amazing. I love it. I've got right. I've got two more random facts for you that were texted over to me because we're we're on a roll now, Michaela. So far, everything's been true, which is great. This one, okay. This one, I I do believe is true, although I still can't believe it, especially given I your career. I bet I know what it's about. Go on. Is it about elephants? Yes, it is. There we go. I've you're, guessed it. You're allergic it's... to elephants. <laughs> well, I am, and that is a bit random, isn't it? And yeah. and most people, of course, wouldn't know that they're allergic to elephants because they don't really come across elephants that much in your in your normal life. Um, and it all started off when we were we were tracking elephants, and we I got quite close to our whole herd. And after that, I had this rash all over my chest. And, and the producer said, oh, my gosh, we better get you to a doctor. You know, you've got a rash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we rushed to the doctor, but it took a while because, you know, we were, we were in um, the middle of nowhere in South Africa. And by the time we got to the doctors, the rash had gone. <laughs> so, so we didn't really think anything of it. And then I was filming in zoos near elephants, and I started to sneeze quite a lot. And then I did Elephant Diary, which was um, a series for the BBC yes. about orphaned elephants and getting them back into the wild. And that's when I realised how serious this allergy was. Because the elephants, I, I was with the, the real young elephants, the, the real baby orphans. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, their trunks were all over me and their spit was all over me and their hairs were all over me. And, oh, my goodness, did I react. It was like having flu. You know, I was sneezing, my eyes were swollen. I had a rash from my wrist up to my armpit. <laughs> Yeah, it was lovely. It was really, it was a lovely thing to have oh. while doing a series about elephants. Yeah, and I was, and what made it even harder was I happened to be pregnant at the time. I've only got one child, so it's the only time I was pregnant, and um, so I couldn't take antihistamine. So um, oh, no. I just had to suffer. Wow. <laughs> but, wow. But weirdly enough, since I've had Ollie, my son, it doesn't seem to be as acute as it used to be. But it used to be great because. We used to go on safari, and I would know that we were coming near elephants because I'd start sneezing. I'd be like, right, there are elephants around. And, the, you know, the safari guide would look at me and go, how do you know? Unless it comes to sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. What a, what a random superpower to have. You know, <laughs> it's just incredible. Have you, have you passed it on to your son? Is he allergic to elephants too, or is it just you? Um, well, he hasn't been around elephants enough for me to know that yet. Okay. <laughs> So, yes, I need to test that out, don't I? Not that I've noticed. We've been on Sparrow a couple of times with him, but not that I've noticed. Okay. Okay, fine. Well, let's hope not, hey? Because... <laughs> it could ruin his career. A, well, yeah, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of jobs with elephants these days. You know, anything can happen. <laughs> yes. That's a remarkable He thing. wanted to be a mahout, but it was ruined by his allergy for elephants. <laughs> You it. Okay, the last the last random fact I've got for you, which I probably think is also true as well, but it might not be. I'm going to ask you anyway. And this is this is when the horse race does come to an end in, in many 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 decades time. Is it true that you have decided that you've you've got a, a unique way that you would like them to dispose of of your corpse? <laughs> what to be eaten by sharks? That's the one. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be put in a box. You know, I think I've watched too many of those movies where where you're put in a in a in a coffin, but you're still alive. I oh, did. Gosh. I remember watching one of those movies. You, you once said where I was the dark that, one earlier, McCain. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, they they. That's what they did. They buried these people alive, and they they had water going into the coffin, and 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 sort of little bits of food. No, it was it was it's given me food? nightmares what ever since. What films are you watching? 
food. I, I know. I can't remember what this one of one of the listeners might remember this awful film. It was it was horrible. It was a horror, obviously a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't, wasn't comedy. No, it was horrid. And so it, it's given me a real fear of of um, going into a coffin. And and I used to also have a bit of a fear of being. It's just, I must have been a witch in a former life of being burnt. <laughs> and so, you know, and so I, I don't, I really don't want to be cremated. So this is such a horrid conversation. Yeah. And so, and so throw, throw me in the water, quite frankly. Right. I, mean, I, I would enough. definitely like to go back into the ecosystem. Yes. I yes. think that's, I think that's what, what I would like. But I, I think there's rules and regulations around that sort of thing, isn't there? I'd have thought so. But I mean, but just, just to... <laughs> Just to clear this one up, though, Michaela, you you are aware that, that, you know, being put in a coffin alive and fed water and food, that's not the norm at death. You know that, don't you? <laughs> no, no, no it, was the, it was the film that I watched. I must have been very young because it's, it, it's like the Daleks. You know, I've been terrified of them ever since I watched Doctor Who when I was seven years old. Oh, tell me about it. Davros <laughs> still does something to me as well. All scary stuff. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, McKenna, what a joy you've been to talk to. The most random conversation as well. I thought we were going to be chatting about animals and what it's like filming and how many takes you have to do when certain animals do things. No, not at all. We've gone dark and deep and kissograms and death. <laughs> yes, it's not quite the conversation we thought we were going to have, but... Um... As you say, a, a bit of a random... Life is random at the moment. Life is unpredictable um, and, and random and confusing. So, it, it, you know, let's, let's just keep the conversation that way. My thanks to Michaela Strachan. Now, after the break, my final guest this week, well, he was Lewis Hamilton's mechanic when he started out in F1, and now he's gone on to become just a big man of telly and cars and racing. Basically, if you like cars and racing and you watch a lot of telly, you're going to know this man. It's the wonderful Mark Priestley. He's next. Driven with Andy J. I'm thrilled to say that joining me in the chat bunker today in the transforming studio car is my buddy. You may know him as Elvis or F1 Elvis. I just know him as Mark Priestley, my friend. How are you doing, man? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, good to see you. Now, it's really good to see you. I'm thrilled you can join us here. I love the fact that you've just told me before we started rolling. I'm sorry about this T-shirt. I just <laughs> fell in a river. Um, it's a true story. I was uh, dressed quite differently. I mean, not as smart as you, but I was dressed in a t-shirt that at least was ironed. <laughs> took the dogs for a walk and took the drone with me to film some beautiful shots for my YouTube channel. And the drone just disappeared and started to land in the river just beyond where I could reach to catch it. And I overbalanced and I fell in. So there's no point pretending I didn't. I did. So I had to have a quick change and then come and see you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> now, Mark, you're one of these guys. I look at your career. I look at what you've done. We've known each other for forever. So, yeah. you know, I can't pretend that, you know, I'm, I'm making this up on the spot because, <laughs> I, you know, I've known you for a very long time. But I want to liken you, right, in a way that you've never been likened before, which is to Gary Lineker. Uh, okay. And by that, I mean, you are someone that has excelled once in your first career and then excelled again. So Gary Lineker was a phenomenal striker. He played for Leicester, he played for Barcelona, he played for England, scored all the goals, was amazing. Then he transitioned and became an incredible TV host. Well, right? I'll take that, mate, thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're rubbish at football, <laughs> but you can change a tyre at speed. Uh, okay. Because of course your original career, for, for anyone that doesn't know, your, your career initially was in Formula One. You yep. were a mechanic, working with Lewis Hamilton amongst others, Yep. At the highest level, at the elite level. Yeah, uh, that's very kind of you. And and it was, uh, I mean, it's amazing when you think back about that. That's uh, kind of right. And that I was at uh, the highest level of the career that I originally chose, which was, you know, engineering and motorsport engineering. And I was on the on the mechanical side, like you say. 
involved in pit stops and that kind of thing. And, and there's no, you can't go any further than Formula One really in that industry. So I was very lucky to get the opportunities and, uh, and to be at a team at, like McLaren that was going through a really successful period when I was there. And um, so I, was, I had some amazing opportunities and times working with people like Lewis and, uh, and engineers like Adrian Newey and people like Ron Dennis. Um, I've got some incredible memories. So that, was, that really was a dream come true. And then when that ended, and that was, you know, I, I chose to leave after 10 years, it's kind of like, what next? And this is, I guess, what lots of footballers or sports stars have, is that what do you do when you've achieved your dream? Which yeah. is what it was for me. That was my dream. Um, and I didn't have a clue when I left. I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I knew that I had to, to move on because I'd done what I needed to do. We won the championship with Lewis Hamilton. It felt like it, that side of things couldn't go any better, any higher. And um, so actually I started writing was the first thing I did. I started writing about my experiences because I felt like I had something that was a bit unique, a different take on Formula One. And I thought fans of the sport might be interested to hear that. So I started writing for websites and in a blog. And it was actually the producers of the, um, the BBC Five Live uh, Radio Formula One show that picked up on the writing and said, do you fancy coming down and, and having a, being a pit lane reporter? And I thought, yeah, all right, I'll give that a go. And, and immediately fell in love with that new industry that I, I kind of then built a second career in. So it's been amazing. I mean, it has it's watching your transition and the decisions you made and the opportunities that have opened up for you over the last few years, particularly the last sort of two or three years, I'd say, has been a real pleasure. As your friend, it's been a real pleasure <laughs> because I feel like, you know, these next sort of 16, 18, 24 months that are, that are approaching, we're going to see your star in the ascendancy like <laughs> never before, I would suggest. Well, I mean, who knows what lies ahead, but... Uh, the one thing I can always say, and this is exactly what I, I can say about the first part of my career, if you, if you want to call it that, is that I enjoyed every moment of it, every single second. I wouldn't change a thing. It was even the, the low points, which you inevitably get. I loved them all because those experiences were, were brilliant. I was working in something that I loved. And that's what I've gone on to do now. So I'm still working with cars. I'm still working with motorsport. I'm working in the, in the media side of all of that now. But that's a, an industry that I didn't know I was going to love, but I've totally fallen in love with now. So I now run a YouTube channel, which takes up a huge amount of my time. And it's something that I've, I didn't know that I would ever enjoy doing, but I absolutely love it. So I'm, I'm really happy. I'm really excited for what the future brings and, um, you know, loving life right now. When you told me, it was probably about two years ago now, when you told me you were starting a YouTube channel, I genuinely thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> not you're, another one. You're, no, no, not another one. No, just... The, the number of times over the years when people have said to me, you want to start your own YouTube channel? And I'm just like, not interested. Yeah, I can't be bothered to share that amount of information. Yeah. I don't want that level of invasion into my life. I just don't have the time. And it's and it takes a while to grow, doesn't it? I mean, you're now in a lovely position where you've you've put the shift in. You you put a, made a rod for your own back at early doors by saying you'll have one of these every day. I was like, what? What are you doing, dude? Yeah, yeah. What every day? I remember talking to you at the NEC at a car show, maybe the Autosport show. Right. Saying I've just started it, and I was saying to you, like, I've just decided to do this thing every day, and you were going, you're you're mad. That's crazy. Yeah, I stand and, by that. Yeah, <laughs> and you were right. And uh, and I don't have the time for it. So it's one of those things that you somehow, you know, it's like when you have kids. No one's got time to have kids, but somehow you manage to do it. And that's what I've done. And uh, actually, the reason it came about was because I had two jobs that I loved. I was working for Sky Sports on Formula One and I was working for Formula E, presenting a lot of their digital coverage. And both of those jobs, for various reasons, came to an end. And that felt for me like, you know, there were two jobs that I absolutely adored doing. And I felt so disappointed that, um, you know, that, that those things were disappearing. And I thought, well, all right, if no one else is going to put me on telly, I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt like I've got some stuff to share. 
you know, particularly around motorsport and cars, because that's a passion of mine, and I have some, ex you know, different experiences to a lot of people. So and treehouse building as well, mate. And sure. I <laughs> treehouse building, uh, which which I I built a treehouse for the kids. Mark has many kids, by the way. The man can't stop breeding. What's the current count, Mark? It was four last time. So Is it least, like eight or twelve at now? Least four, yeah. At least four. Um, so I built them a treehouse, uh, which <laughs> they hardly use. I now use as a studio <laughs> for my YouTube channel. Um, so that's how it came about. And, uh, and, you know, it's one of those things that I just experiment with. And the nice thing about a YouTube channel is that you don't have a producer standing there saying, right, stand there and say this, yeah. look like this, do this. You do whatever you want. And it's brilliant. I kind of try to commit to, to not doing it at the weekends. Right. So I kind of try as best I can. But unfortunately, of course, motor racing. <laughs> that's when the action happens. Happens, happens yeah. on the weekends. So I try and do these things during the week generally. And then I'll, I'll create some content over the weekend, but I won't commit too much time to it if possible. I always try and make the weekends family time. But um, yeah, it is tough. And, um, and particularly the editing side, which I had no experience of ever. And it's something I've had to learn on the, on the go. But that's also, you know, I'm one of these people that if I set about doing something, I'm not going to half do it. I want to fully do it, which is why I sort of set myself this ridiculous challenge of doing one every day, because I knew that if I committed to that and then told the world I was going to do that, I couldn't back out of it. I yeah. had to then do it. So that's what pushed me on to, to learn these skills. And I'm still learning, but it's a great process. And you can, you know, one of the key things that I, I know most about you is you're really nobly fan of sleep. You know, <laughs> there's never time to switch off, is there? No, no. no. I'm, I mean, that is it. I think um, even when I was doing Formula One the first time around, you know, it was, uh, we had this kind of, it's a very different era, but we had this work hard and play hard ethic in, in the industry and also in our team. So we worked incredibly hard, like, I mean, unbelievably hard to the point where the hours that we used to work were almost unimaginable in today's world because of health and safety is now a thing, which it wasn't really back then. But even after all of that, we still found time to go out and enjoy ourselves in the evening, which I find amazing um, that they were you know that many hours in a day but it was just part of what happened back then and, and it was also part of the things that made it such a, a special experience because you know you kill yourself all day just working slogging away to get this Formula One car to go as quickly as you can you've got to have some kind of release from that pressure so we used to go out and enjoy ourselves and uh, yeah sleep's some way down the list yeah. of priorities. For Honestly, me. I don't know how you do it. I mean, <laughs> the more I kind of think about those days, and I've read your book as well, which I've loved, and I just, I just do not know. I mean, I've, I've obviously got kids and stuff, so I know what exhaustion feels like. <laughs> I couldn't then go and make an engine safe for anybody. But I, I couldn't do that anyway. And Mark, we, we haven't talked about the, the new projects either. You, you're now, you know, on screen with the legend that is Mr. Mike Brewer. You yeah. know, you, you have a spin-off show from, from part of the Wheeler Dealer franchise. This is a Thing. It is huge, yeah. And I didn't realise quite how huge that was going to be when I kind of signed up to it. Um, I mean, I did a, a show for the Discovery Network, um, I think three or four years ago now. It was uh, it's called Driving Wild, and it was an amazing experience. It was, again, something brand new, but that was about... I sort of <laughs> It was travelling the world, just kind of dipping in and out of various motorsport cultures, but grassroots cultures, and then joining a team, if you like, building a, a car or a vehicle... Uh, and entering it into an it was event. a very fun show actually. It was so it was a much, lot the, of fun. literally the best job I've ever had. I think I would go as far as to say. And anyway, roll on a few years. Um, Discovery got back in touch uh, last year, year before, to say, um, you know, we've got another car show which we think you'd be great for. I had no idea at that point that it was part of the Wheeler Dealers franchise. They didn't tell me any of that. They just said it's this car show. Yeah. And uh, you're going to get the spanners out. Did a, yeah, did a bit of a screen test, um, and then they kind of dropped in that it was this thing with Wheeler Dealers, but it wasn't Wheeler Dealers, it was a spin-off. 
So then they put me together with Mike Brewer uh, to have a sort of chemistry test, if you like. And we just got on like house on fire. I yeah. mean, you know him as well as I do. He's just so much fun. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Mike's. I yeah. mean, I, and then we, so we got the job and we went on to film this series. Wheeler Dealer's Dream Car was the spin-off filmed here in the UK. It was a brilliant, fun show, but I hadn't laughed as much as I did every day, you know, working with Mike. So totally loved it. And we're now, lockdown, of course, has prevented us from, from pushing on with the next season. But yeah. it's coming and I can't wait. Mate, I think it's brilliant. And I think, honestly, once, you know, I've said this to you off screen, I'll say it on camera as well. You know, once you're in the Wheeler Dealers family, you know, firstly, you got brilliantly accepted by the audience very, very quickly. You know, this, yeah. obviously, we know there's been history with, with Ant Anstead getting in there because he was replacing Ed China, who was a huge fan favourite. But Ant won people over because he's a phenomenal mechanic. Yeah. You know, you yeah. give anyone a chance. You didn't have to worry about that because you weren't replacing anyone. It was a new thing with Mike. That's right, yeah. Although, I mean, I'm still getting... People seem to still get confused when they see this thing that comes under the Wheeler Dealers umbrella. Right, right. And, uh, and I, the amount of tweets I still get every day, have you replaced Ant? Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, well, bring back Ed. Yeah. <laughs> so we still get all of that. But yeah, you're right. The, the overwhelming response to our show was, I mean, I would say 99% positive, which yeah. is, is an amazing stat, you know, because it's not always like that. You know, anything you put out online, as you well know, polarizes opinion, no matter what it is. And yet this was, was so well received. I think um, the audience interaction with it, with Discovery as well on the socials and things like that were brilliant. And it had this really nice part of the show because the idea, the premise of the show is that we take a, a punter's car, if you like, that they don't particularly love, but they have a dream car in mind that they'd love to achieve, but they can't either afford to buy it or have the skills to be able to transform to, to get there. So they give us their old banger, essentially, yeah. and maybe a few quid that they've got you know, saved up. And then Mike and I go to work on adding value to each car. He then trades it up to the next one, brings it back to me and I try and add some more value to it or fix it up or modify it or whatever it is. And eventually we work our way towards the dream car. That's it for Driven this week here on Talk Radio. If you'd like to catch up with our back catalogue of celebrity conversations, and trust me, we have had a lot of star names on this show, from oh, James May to Catherine Jenkins to Gabby Logan to Nico Rosberg to Ricky Wilson and more and more and more. Do check out the Driven Celebrities podcast where you can have extended versions of many of the conversations that we have here on the weekly radio show. Now, who's on the show next week? Well, I'm happy to say it's going to be very uplifting. We have the legend that is Mr. Motivator. And speaking of legends, we also have Olympic hero Sir Chris Hoy and a sensational singer-songwriter who you may not be aware of yet. But trust me, she has an enormous future. Fiona Bevan. Those are your guests on the show next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.